It's the start of Advent. The start of the season leading up to Christmas. The start of the church calendar year. What's your highlight every year? What's the big thing that you love every year with Advent and Christmas? Anyone? This got awkward fast. Does nobody love anything about Christmas and Advent but me? The music. Yes. Family. Getting together with family. Yeah, and it looks like we're going to be able to do that without all the limits that we've had in the past. That's wonderful. Christmas lights. Yes. I used to love driving through town. Edmonton had a street called um, Candy Cane Lane. And you could walk it or drive it. And it was like, I have, like, must have been like 10 blocks of Christmas lights. Love those. What else? Stuffing? Christmas pudding. Stuffing for me. When I have Christmas supper, there's stuffing and then a little bit of everything so I have a balanced meal. Ice fishing. I like my usual Christmas ice fishing day. <laughs> I've never been fishing once in my life, and I haven't regretted it since. <laughs> You're off work. Yeah, time off. Time with family. I know you got your boys coming in from out of town. Excited to see them. Presents. Giving or receiving? Both. Yeah, it's kind of fun to do both, isn't it? There's so many things, so many things that um, we can look forward to. And we each have a different view of what we love. For some, it's going to be decorating the tree today or the weeks to come. We don't start till Advent, so that's happening today. Baking in our house, special meals, friends, Christmas presents. I love Christmas music. Every year, I make sure I buy at least one new album. Uh, I, I probably got to stop at some point because I don't get to listen to all of them anymore because um, I have too many. Uh, but we all have a different perspective on what we love at Christmas. And uh, it's not just Christmas where we have a different perspective on things. We live in a world with as many different perspectives on many issues as there are people. We know this. We all have our favorite foods and restaurants, our favorite clothing styles, political opinions, and so much more. And within the church, there's no lack of perspectives either, are there? We know that. That's why there's also so many different churches. Because there's so many different perspectives. You know, it's one of the challenges we also have is we live in a season when uh, the perspectives we have are very divisive. And we don't tolerate different perspectives on some things. In our mind... There's only one perspective that's valid. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Rough rider football. Oh, you thought I was talking about that other thing. Yeah, no, we're not talking about that. Rough rider football. In Saskatchewan, there's only one perspective that counts on that, right? And yes, I'll be cheering for the rough riders today. Perspectives are interesting things. And so this season of Advent, I want us to kind of step back from how we usually look at the Christmas stories and look at the different perspectives in each of them. Because we can actually benefit and grow 
when we look at other perspectives than just what we hold. Sometimes our, th- our perspectives are so established, they're such a part of our routines and practices, our traditions, we don't even consider how others could see things different than us. We just assume that everybody sees it the way we do. And so with the exception of Saskatchewan football, when we pause and consider the perspective of others, we are provided with the opportunity to learn and grow, to deepen our understanding, to be empathetic and compassionate, and to nurture our faith as we see God at work through the perspective of others. We grow as people. So this Advent season, we're doing a sermon series called Do You See What I See? Where we're going to look at different perspectives and hopefully see things in a broader way, a bigger way. Maybe from a different angle, maybe even something new. And we're hoping and praying the Spirit will be at work in our hearts, drawing us to Christ during this season. And today we're going to look at Mary. So what do we see when we look at Mary? Mary is one part of the story that we kind of pick and choose the parts we really hold on to. We choose the nice parts. We romanticize parts we don't like, and we see her through the lens of Christmas being a joy-filled and celebratory time. I mean, who doesn't want to give birth in a manger, with a, with a baby in a manger surrounded by strange men who've been out in this field sweating all night? Oh, doesn't everybody, just, isn't that just so special? Wouldn't that be your favorite part of your Christmas if you were Mary? When we look at Mary, we look at somebody we like to put on the front of our Christmas cards. All put together, calm, loving, confident, ah, in awe, looking at her baby. How many of you would want to be put on a Christmas card right after giving birth to a baby? It's kind of what we do with Mary, isn't it? We celebrate how faithful she was to God, and so we should, in carrying the Son of God and giving birth to him. But we romanticize the story further with the image of the shepherds and the cows and sheep all around her by the manger. Like I said, we make Christmas cards of her right after giving birth. So we have to admit that maybe we make things a little rosier with Mary than actually there were. And there's so much good in this story of Mary, so much to admire in her faith, that we tire into all of our joyous celebrations and we risk missing the struggles she faced, the difficulty of the journey, and ultimately the price she had to pay. So let's step back and let's look first at Mary from the perspective of the world around her. And that perspective was very different than our perspective today. I want us to pay attention to a few words in Luke 1, verses 26 to 27, where we read, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married. And right in these few verses, in these few words, we see more than setting a scene, we're actually seeing a lot of information of how the world would perceive Mary beginning with the location. Now, if you've grown up in the church or you've been reading the Bible for a while, we're used to the word Galilee. It's, it's a part of the gospel narratives. 
But this location tells us immediately the context in which Mary is found. You see, Galileans were seen as lesser than in religious eyes. Galilee was a good distance away from Jerusalem, but it was also a spiritually and politically far from Jerusalem. It was the most pagan of the Jewish provinces, and Galileans were seen as being less uh, biblically, biblically pure, if we can use that word, uh, less pure and loose with the law, and they were more loose with the law given in Scripture. Obviously, they weren't biblically pure because they didn't have the Bible, but I think you get what I mean when I say that, right? In other words, people saw them as less than everyone else. Even more so, the text is even more specific in that Gabriel went to Nazareth to find Mary. And other than Jesus, Nazareth, Nazareth isn't really mentioned anywhere in Jewish literature. It is nowheresville. Not a technical term for it, but I think, again, you get what I mean. And the story gets better. Not only is Gabriel going to a Nazareth, which held little to no value in Galilee, which was looked down on by the rest of Israel. Well, Gabriel's destination isn't actually the place. It's a person. And her, his destination is a young woman engaged to be married, a teen girl who is so far unwed. And women in this time were seen as lesser than men. And this particular girl was young and had not married yet, so really didn't have much identity. And as much as we say, well, that shouldn't be how it is, are we really that different in our culture? Are we going to stop and listen to a teenage girl over a whole bunch of mature adults? I don't think we always do a great job of that, of hearing what God is saying through our teens. We, we, we expect them to grow up. I, one of the things I, I hate is they're the, next, they're the future of the church. i got to tell you, that is... The silliest phrase. Because they're actually part of the church right now. They're not the future. They're part of it. But for some reason, we want to put them off a bit. So we're not that actually that different in how we see young teenage girls. So she didn't really have much of identity. She was both a child and a female. So Gabriel is going to a place that is unknown in a region that is looked down on to a person who really has no standing or power or society, no standing or power in society. This is how Mary would be seen by those around her in the world. Now let's step forward a bit to how the world would perceive Mary when they discovered she was expecting a child. She would bear the stigma and even the consequences of being an unwed mother. Rumors would follow her. She would be looked down upon. And people would whisper about her behind her back. And again, unfortunately, I'm not sure we're always that different in our world. While we revere mother Mary as the mother of Jesus, this world she was living would come to see her the opposite way. Someone to be looked down upon from a place nothing good really comes from. It was not an easy world in which Mary was entering into and Gabriel came and talked to her. So let's switch gears now and see how did Mary see things. Mary came into this meeting with Gabriel with plans and hopes and dreams. 
She was betrothed to Joseph. She would have been excited for what the future held for her. In the midst of these hopes and dreams, she is visited by an angel. Now, you might think, that's awesome. Who wouldn't want an angelic visitor? I think we romanticize that part too. Are you telling me if you had an angel, a true angel, just show up to you and say, hello, I've got good news for you, part of you wouldn't be freaking out? We romanticize this. This is unsettling. Let's talk about that a bit. Mary's response is not one of wonder. In fact, we're told that Gabriel greeted her saying, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And then in the following verse, we read, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Sounds like a fair response, actually, doesn't it? And I need to tell you, greatly, wa- greatly troubled might be a bit watered down. The Greek verb here it can actually mean greatly disturbed. <laughs> So let's call it what it is. She was troubled, greatly troubled, disturbed by an angelic visit. So why is that? Well, maybe you're a person with no place and no value in society from a location everyone looks down on. You'd be troubled too when someone calls you favored, wondering what the strings are, what's, what's the issue. Or males in Jewish tradition do not extend greetings to women. So it's strange that a non-woman is greeting her with it being an angel. But even with that aside, God's direct intervention is always unexpected. It is unsettling and even disturbing, especially when the world sees you as a nobody and not worthy of such a visit. It's not that God's interventions are bad. God does wonderful miracles that are such a blessing. But when it's such a visible, tactile, supernatural experience, well, let's just say there's a reason why it's called supernatural. Because it's above what is natural, what we expect to experience. And that is unsettling. Or maybe there's some cultural background with angelic visits that concerned her. There's a book uh, in Jewish literature called Tobit. And it's part of Jewish literature from when the time when Israel was in exile uh, before, a couple of centuries before the time of Jesus. It's a book filled with folklore and tales and helped guide the Jews in exile to retain what it meant to be Jewish. And in this book, there's a tale of a jealous angel that appears to a woman who is promised to be married, and this angel kills the bridegroom. And every time this woman goes to be married, the angel would appear and kill the bridegroom again. Now, I'm not saying for sure that Mary was thinking that, but this would be part of the cultural context in which she lived. I suspect she would have been familiar with that. So maybe it's that, I don't know. The reality is there's many reasons why she could have been troubled, and these are just three possibilities, and none of them are certainties. But she was troubled, she was unsettled, and the angel tells her, do not be afraid. And yet. Now, where Zechariah was visited by an angel, he asked the question, how can I believe this? 
Mary asks a similar question, but different. Where Zachariah's question was a lack of faith, Mary questions the message that Gabriel says. Gabriel says, you're going to have a baby. Mary's question is not a lack of faith, but one of uncertainty. Luke is not telling us Mary is a virgin because a virgin is because she's exalted and pure and holy. He's saying it because she's a virgin. And it's kind of important, well, to the story. You see, when you're a virgin, please correct me if you know this, or please stop me if you know this. When you're a virgin, you don't get pregnant. Wow, nobody stopped me. This is really awkward now. (laughs) But that's why they're telling us she's a virgin. To make sure it's clear, this should not be possible. That's why we know that. Now in Scripture, barren wombs have given birth to children. But never before in Scripture has a virgin conceived a child. So in Luke 1, when we see Elizabeth become pregnant in an old age, we're reminded that John's conception is extraordinary. Whereas Jesus' conception is beyond extraordinary. John's conception, we've heard of that before. Barren women giving birth, what a miracle. A virgin giving birth? This is astounding. And Mary is incredulous. Not doubtful like Zechariah, but she's surprised and unsure and asked, how will this happen? I'm a virgin. In other words, Gabriel, this shouldn't really be possible. She's asking a question of wonder and uncertainty. And really, it's a question that needed to be asked. And the message the angel brings to Mary is one that would turn her life upside down. It would remove her from her place in society as limited as that was. It would risk demolishing all her hopes and dreams. And despite all that, she doesn't pull a Jonah and try to run. She doesn't pull a Zachariah and doubt that God could ever do such a thing. She ends up instead proclaiming, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mary accepted what God was wanting to do despite the deep personal cost it would take on her. Her faith and trust in God overruled her desire to be accepted and comfortable in this world. She trusted God despite the heartache it would cost her. A heartache that would ultimately reach its climax in life when Mary had to watch her son be crucified on the cross. Mary paid the price in grief. And her response to Gabriel the angel is so wonderful. I think we feel like it's amazing faith without thinking the cost. She says she's the Lord's servant. But that's actually not strong enough a translation there either. She's calling herself a doula, translated servant in our Bibles. But when I learned Greek, doulos, uh, the masculine form of doule, is one of the first words I learned because it's a common word in Greek language. It's a word that is regularly and usually translated slave. 
And doule is just the feminine form of doulos. Mary somehow had God's desires given to her and chose to put aside the cost to her in life. And she referred to herself, I am your slave. She set aside her hopes and dreams and submitted herself to God. She, in every way, made herself a slave to God. We call Mary blessed because of what God is doing in and through her, and yes, she was blessed because of that. But Mary shows us that God's blessings do not mean things will be good or easy in this world, but there are blessings in God's kingdom, especially when there's suffering in this world, because God's kingdom is different than this world. So how did God see Mary? God clearly saw something different than the world did. We're told that God highly favored Mary when the world would have been ignoring her. God called her a blessing among women, yet she would soon be rejected by the world as a woman for an unwed pregnancy. He entrusted to her his most precious gift to the world, despite all the obstacles around her. Where she was seen in the world, God promised her a son who would reign on David's throne and his kingdom would extend forever. She would be the matriarch of God's eternal kingdom. Not bad for somebody who's a nobody in this world. God clearly saw something different in Mary than the world did. For God knew she would be lonely in this world, bearing a child out of wedlock. God provided Mary with a cousin, also carrying a miraculous baby. Her cousin Elizabeth was going to give birth to John, who we know as John the Baptist. I like to believe that that's part of why God did that, was so Mary would not be alone in this journey. God knew Mary would be one who would be faithful to him. God sees things different in us than the world sees in us. So the question we come to is, in some ways, do you see what I see? The better question is, what should we see in Mary in this story? Do we see the world the way God wants us to? Do we see the working of God in the world the way Mary does? Are we willing to let our perspectives on this story be shifted and ask questions of ourselves that can challenge us and help us grow in faith. We should see Mary through the eyes of God and not the eyes of the world. She was a person who mattered, no matter what the world said. We should stop and ask ourselves, is there someone around us like Mary that God is calling to do things but we dismiss because they don't fit our expectations of what that person should be? Are we willing for God to work in this world beyond what we expect? We should see Mary accept the call of God and recognize it as a blessing in God's kingdom to be the mother of Jesus, but an incredible burden and challenge in the world. And we should look at our lives and see if we expect only blessings 
from God, are we willing to bear the burdens of being faithful to God in a world that rejects God? Do we recognize that the acceptability and prosperity of the world are not the blessings that God is promising to each and every one of us? God's blessings are far bigger and better than those. Are we willing to live in a world differently because God has called us to be that? And are we willing to pay the price in this world for that? We should see that in the midst of the struggles that Mary would face, God provided support and relationship with Elizabeth. And we should ask, who is God providing to journey alongside us in our challenging times? And let's lean into those people. We don't have to do this alone. We don't have to do this thing called life alone. Even in COVID, we can still be community to one another and journey alongside during the difficult times. But we have this habit of thinking, I can go it alone. I don't need help. Because that's what the world tells us we should be like. That's not what we're called to be as a church. That's not what we're called to be as God's people. So lean, are you willing to lean into those people God's putting around you to make yourself vulnerable? And on the other side of that, who are you being called to journey alongside in their difficulties? Who's God put in your path that needs your love and care and support in this season? Maybe it's somebody you know well. Maybe it's somebody you barely know. Maybe it's even a stranger. But who's God calling you to journey alongside? We see Mary who lived in a superstitious culture that would believe anything. And we see her questioning and using her reason and asking questions, not presupposing answers. Hey, Gabriel... Just want to connect the dots here. You said I'm going to be pregnant. I'm a virgin. Can you fill in the blanks? That's, that's essentially what Mary's doing. She's reasoning out what's going on. She's thinking it through. She's a smart cookie. And she's full of faith. So we need the same thing. To use our reason and ask questions, and don't presuppose answers. We too should see our faith, our life, our world through the mind God gives us, but also we should ask questions and not just presume our answers and understanding are correct. Where we see Mary respond gradually, do you recognize that it takes time to absorb, to understand and step forward in faith? Our faith is a journey. And so we should also respond in wonder and a willingness to surrender to God, recognizing that we're going to grow and others are going to grow over time in faith. We need to learn to listen and not just have the answers. We just finished a whole fall sermon series about the Holy Spirit. Did you hear the word listen once or twice during that month, those months? Listening is foundational to faith. In Mary, 
Mary represents what God called Israel to become. Humble, willing, a servant, a slave. Mary is seen by Israel as being a mistake, a problem. But what great privilege, what greater privilege is there than to be slave to the King of Kings and be close to the Lord and serve him? That's the opportunity before us. Tim Keller writes that, look at Mary herself. The girl no more than 15, near the bottom of the social ladder, knew that if she surrendered to God, she would go even lower, yet she did so willingly and went through the agony of watching her son be tortured and die young. Are we willing to endure the brokenness of the world to honor God? Can we see Mary surrendering everything to God without knowing yet about the work of Jesus on the cross? Think about that. She's surrendering everything to God without knowing what God was fully doing. We've got the inside track, my friends. We've got the Gospels. We know the story. Mary didn't know the full story. And if we can know that, knowing of God's grace in Christ, we can be like Mary and be willing to give up things in this world to follow the King which is really the call of Advent, isn't it? To follow the one who gives us hope and peace and joy and love in a world that has these things on a superficial level that imitates but doesn't even come close to the truth of what God offers. Do you see Mary pointing the way for us? The way for us to follow and be obedient to God. Do you see in Mary's life that the scandal of her pregnancy pales in comparison to the scandal of God entering human life with all its depravity, violence and corruption to love us and save us from our sins and brokenness so we can have life in Jesus. Do you see the woman the world would ignore and reject, set apart by God and deemed blessed among women? Do you see that God sees things differently than the way the world does. I need to tell you, if you're feeling forgotten, rejected, or ignored, God sees the value in you and desires to use you for his ministry, to love you, to care for you, and to give you the gift of eternal life. God did it with Mary. And you, like Mary, are created by God and loved by God. And he wants to use you too. So if you're feeling rejected by this world, uncared for, unloved, as we start Advent, know there is hope. And we want to be that community for you that helps you find that hope. The hope that you are loved and the truth that you are loved and valued by God and his body of believers. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus that came into this world. And we are amazed at the power and witness of a teenage girl given this incredible responsibility of bearing your son in a world that's hostile, in a world that would reject her and shame her, in a world that ignored her and devalued her. 
and yet she found purpose in you, a purpose far greater than any of us will ever have. And we thank you that in that we can see that you also have value and love for each of us and can work in each of us. Help us to live each day with hope. The hope we have in Jesus Christ that he came to this earth, lived, died on the cross and rose again and ascended into heaven and will one day return. The hope that we have now because our sins are forgiven and the hope we have because we know you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, love us and call us your own. In your name we pray. Amen.